You're listening to How Do You Decide with Megan Stafford, a podcast that explores how the decisions we make shape us, the crossroads, the difficult choices, and how sometimes the smallest decisions can have the biggest impact. Join me as I meet everyday Aussies and find out about their lives, the decisions that changed them, and how they coped along the way. This week on the podcast... She's desperately wanted a a partnership, so we ended up as partners because I thought it was better to have somebody, which is a terrible thing to say, but somebody that cared more about me than Mm. I could. That's Valerie Coates, and this episode is about relationships, both familial and romantic. Val's story hinges on the three and a half years she spent working in the Royal Australian Air Force, or RAF. A lesbian, Val's sexuality was something she knew to hide in the 1960s for her own safety. She was outed in the worst way when someone she worked with told the military police that Val was a lesbian. Val was subjected to hours of interrogation and dismissed from the Air Force. The trauma of that experience has never left Val. It is an example of the potency of our experiences, of how something that happened in minutes can stick with us for months, years, our whole life. At the time, Val was dating a woman off base. That woman broke up with her at around the same time of her interrogation. After that, Val was much more careful with her heart, as you heard in the teaser clip. In this conversation, we discuss Val's childhood, which included a move to Kenya at the age of nine, that interrogation, and about sexuality, love, and family. A note, I did reach out to the RAF for their right of reply. They never responded. I know as a collective we've learned from our mistakes and are working to create an inclusive environment for all. I hope Val's story highlights the importance of making space for people to be who they are. Valerie Coates. Hi, Valerie. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Uh, So, Valerie, maybe if we could just start at the beginning. So, you were born in England and then moved to Kenya? I did my primary school in Kenya, in Nairobi. Uh, There's a picture of me with a at Nairobi Airport with a cheetah. <laughs> Very proud of that one. That is it's amazing. Beautiful. In my typical English sandals and little floral frock. <laughs> yes, so uh, that was the first posting we went with our dad. My mother was sick of him going overseas and coming back, and you know, and it was the um, uh, just the end of the Mau Mau problems, you know, where people were getting killed out in East Africa, but um, we managed to get a posting out there for three years, three and a half years, and mum and I wanted to stay. (laughs) Incredible. So your father worked? He was military. He was was, uh, RAPC, which is Royal Army Pay Corps. Mm -hmm. He travelled a lot, you know, with the army, and my mother got sick of him going away and coming back and dealing with everything and then him wanting to be the boss sort of thing. And she's you know. just had mm. to make it work by herself mm. for But so that, long. that was the military in those days. And so in, when did we go, 1955 I think it was, we went to Nairobi, Kenya and I went to primary school there and had a horse and had a wonderful time as a child. You were the youngest of three and how old would you have been in 1955 when you moved to Nairobi? Well, I was Born in 46, so that's nine-ish. My yes. maths isn't good. No, I've just done that, calculated that. Yep, you're right, spot on. And 
the cheetah itself, was it just... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Do I, it was just at the airport. Maybe it was being sent to a zoo or something. But I, yeah, that's an amazing I mean, I just, picture. I can't remember. He was beautiful. It is. It doesn't really look like he's uh, muzzled or caged or anything. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you yes, were nine. No, that's okay. I was nine. Yeah, nine when you went to Nairobi. Yeah, and our primary school was a driveway like that. And uh, I used we used to have an army lorry that took us in. And we had a young corporal on the end so that we didn't fall off. And was that that they were on the back of the lorry? Was that a gated community where you guys lived and then to the school? Or no, 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 no. We had freedom of movement. Oh, so it was like a bus. It's like the school bus. No, it was a, oh, they called it a gary. It was an army lorry. Yeah. You know, just with but a... But used as if it was a school bus in terms of picking and collecting yes. and dropping off students. Yeah. Yeah, yeah generally. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> and, of course, I went to when we went back to England I had missed out because I'd gone past I went what, what was it three or four years so that made me 12 or 13 and I'd pass in England it was 11 plus so I'd missed a whole year of English so my education was not very good but that's my excuse <laughs> <laughs> and was the school that you were going to in Nairobi was it 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 was um it was mainly white people, but I had a lot of um, sort of Indian-type friends and things. What was the atmosphere like at that time in Nairobi, obviously? So the Mau Mau problem, could you go into a bit more well, about that? Well, as a that? child, you don't... Don't know. You don't think of those sorts of things. We moved a couple of times and we had houseboys everywhere. So when my dad was posted back to England, to the north of England, and we were southerners, you know, the southerners and the northerners, <laughs> don't sort of mix, we're a bit, you know, so snooby, you felt, you felt, snooby. <laughs> you felt like you were moving further than you had when you went That's to right, Nairobi. You know, I, I, wrote in, I wrote in my story, you know, it sounded so cruel to go from Nairobi with all these, you know, um, African uh, boys cooking and cleaning and doing everything for us you know and we were just having a good time to send us back to the north of England not the south of England. Also when you say um, Kenya that's obviously the correct pronunciation is it not Kenya? Well in in those days I think it's because the um, the guy that was their president for a little while uh, was Kenyatta uh, he yep, was yep, a yep, Maasai, yep. well, had been a Maasai, mm-hmm. but, and and the uh, the main street and everything is Kenyatta Avenue, and I think that's when it became Kenya. Which is fair, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. I mean, Kenya's like K double isn't it? But, <laughs> yeah. you know, we Poms didn't know any better. <laughs> no, oh, well, I only asked because, yeah, we can, Australians can slaughter. Yeah, uh, I just called it Nairobi. Yeah. So, I mean, it was quite a modern place. And we met a lot of famous people like, um, uh, you probably won't know them, Armand and Michaela Dennis, they were big um, animal activists and, mm-hmm. you know, my brother was going to go and work for them for a while. Wow. But that didn't that come been incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But it was quite a modern city. My mum actually worked in a bookshop, I think. Yeah, my mum always wanted to be busy. Which is amazing that she was able, you know, this posting to go... Oh, and and you guys as a family to have your dad. I mean, coming home, I imagine right. most nights. Yeah. And what was his work there? Well, he was a, a Royal Army Pay Corps, so he yeah. was a, a he was um, the person who paid the troops, sort of thing. And he started off in Dover Castle, actually. 
Wow. Which was amazing during the World War. That, to be at Dover during World War Two, right on the English Channel. Yeah. France was just over there. Right there, yeah. Of course, that didn't affect me. I was born in 1946. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, who cares? Yeah, who cares? Oh, past. But, the, but yeah. I love the history. Yeah. I love the history and it makes me cry a lot for all the people that got lost on both sides and every side. You know, yeah. I worked in Japan for five months and I made such beautiful friends and they were all my age and they were born in my era and their parents were beautiful people, you know, but uh, my contemporaries weren't the embarrassed ones really. It was just that they revered their elders and um, they, um, they didn't know anything about the war, but everything was Americanized, mm. which was sad. That is sad, you know, yeah. Because I'd say to my friend, um, you should be learning about, you know, Japanese history. You know, when you see that side of, you know, I spent a lot of time in Japanese homes, mainly with my friends that I made from work. Yeah. What were you doing in Japan? After <laughs> working work? at the Australian restaurant as a, uh, well, we were supposed to be like four of us got a job through a girl that was working for a Japanese food company that imported Australian goods. And so um, they wanted four ladies to go over and help with the hosting. None of us spoke Japanese, whereas in the Australian embassy, uh, uh, expo, you know, the big wave, I don't know whether you've seen pictures. Okay, so the five months was for expo? Yes. Working, okay, yeah. Specifically working and being paid. 1970. 1970. The expo in Tokyo. Uh, Osaka. Osaka. We landed, we sailed up to... Um, uh, Tokyo but it was the port of not the port of Tokyo but near there and then we got picked up by some minders to take us down and we lived in Kobe the four of us lived in the this little flat in Kobe incredible We're, so you were sort of running hosting the the exhibit that uh, was as part of this. no we were we actually ended up getting a bit bored just standing around looking like hosties and we started serving at table yeah yeah <laughs> Four of us. I actually took a trip with a couple of my friends that joined me from Australia, who are still friends of mine and still alive, thank God, um, to um, Hiroshima, mm. where the bomb went off. Oh, that just made me goosey. It was horrific. Horrific what man will do to man. Yeah. The destruction. We, tra we travelled by train and you had to... Only one of us could sit down because we're all packed in a bit like you see the, yeah. them being pushed onto the more modern rail. But um, in those days, it was a um, steam train down to Hiroshima and we one of us could sit down at a time. And we tried to hitch, hitchhike back, but all the cars were really small in those days. And of course, the four, four girls, girls were yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, interesting life. Such an interesting life, Val. I'm just trying to piece it all together. So, sorry. No, 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 no. Please no. don't apologize. I love going all over the place. So, when did you decide to join the the Air Force? Was that here in Australia? Uh, yeah, um, 1965, and I was. I went to the recruiting because my mother was just beside herself because I was so reserved. I found it difficult to go to for interviews, and my mm. mother was pulling her hair out. And she was just about to um, 
start a new relationship with the love of her life, not my father, because <laughs> so he, he never came to Australia. Oh, so they they, they were already they separated. Yep. Yes. So um, yeah, yeah. So um, I went to the recruiting station, recruiting office, and uh, and I wasn't being a smart ass, but I wanted to drive. Uh, I wanted to be a driver. Yeah, because I'd learnt how to drive in the Great Rift Valley in Africa. I learned how to drive a car. You know, sitting on mate's lap. <laughs> stuff like that all I wanted to do yeah, was drive right. so so the um the officer said um do you know do you know what what's under a bonnet I said yes an engine <laughs> and I thought what a stupid uh, he must have thought I was a smart ass but it was a stupid thing because why would a woman know in those days you know basic mechanics so it was an obvious put off misogynist probably <laughs> look Okay. Pal, I couldn't. I would. That would be my go-to answer as well for what's under a bonnet. So, yeah. you know, I've got a lot of male friends that I trust implicitly. I like. I like male friends. Before this point, have you done anything with your nursing? Like you said, you did some nursing subjects. Oh, that's right. Um, no, no, nothing. no. I wasn't no. into it. No. It was my mum's thing and my sister's thing. My mm. sister started off in physio before she went into sex therapy and all yeah. that sort of thing. So, no, it wasn't my thing. It was obviously I was more sort of military-minded or just running and having fun. Did you come over to Australia with your mum? Yes, because yep. my brother had an accident. Um, he, he'd he made his eyesight worse. worse uh, you know, he hit his head on a lamppost or something and, um, you know, had a bit of problem. But by the time my mum and I got here, he was quite well and he was well established with his first wife in a flat in Mossman which is very upper, wow. you know, yeah. upper class. And so my mum and I um, didn't like his wife very much, <laughs> sadly. But she turned out to be a good wife anyway, yeah. for as long as she was. 20 years, I think, they were married, which yeah. was good. That's a good, yeah, good They innings. made it well. That's right. Before he wandered. Uh, and it was very sad to see her go downhill after that, but she did hook up with another guy later, oh, which was good. Now I digress. <laughs> so you and your mum were in Sydney as well then? You, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We ended up getting a bed sit in um, just down the road from the zoo <laughs> in Mossman. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a big... It, it's now... A, uh, and it, she managed to get a job. Like, the bed sit was there... And there was a private hospital just there. And so she just walked up the road and got a job as a, um, what do you call it when you're not a fully Like an enrolled, enrolled nurse? Yeah. yeah, enrolled nurse up there. <laughs> good work. It was good for her. Yeah. She needed. Well, she, at that point, was was freshly, she would have been freshly separated, I'm absolutely. guessing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But it would have been nice to be close to at least two of her three kids. Yeah, well, Mum and I were very close. I was so tight. She always felt responsible for me, I think, because, you know, I was the youngest and I was so shy and, you know, she had two siblings that were doing well in the world and, yeah, so she, you know, I'm... Ah! Sorry. That's okay. You don't have to say it if you don't want Valerie. (sighs) Yeah, she was the best mummy. What was her name? Oh, it changed. <laughs> Depending who you were with. 
<laughs> she was born Violet Kathleen. Her mother was Kathleen, I think. And uh, we're not sure. Um, she was born born to, you know, in 19, 1917, below stairs with her mother, who I think was got to by the master of the house, I think. Oh, gosh. Because there's a, a lot of um, Irish in my mother, whereas on my father's side it's Scottish, so I'm very into Celtic music. Yeah. There must obviously be, like, this Scotsman... Uh, you know all these references yes. around here in Jinjin as well. So. Oh, oh yes, yeah. Because like right. Scotman's height, height, and then the, the motels. Motel. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Think of that. <laughs> but she died in 1993. She um, unfortunately had a stroke in Charters Towers Hospital. She was Violet, but so she. You said she had multiple names. She, yeah. Well, uh, at work, I think they called her Katie. Oh, you know, or yeah, yeah. that started off with. The love of her life, he called her KT. People that had known her longer called her Vi. So it depended where she was. <laughs> and so you you two were together in Sydney and she was working up at the hospital. And yep. was that when you decided to go and apply at the Air Force? Well, she encouraged me because she was worried about, you know, me getting out and, you know, into a decent decent job, which was fair enough. So I, I did end up in the RAF for uh, three years, three and a half years. I had a few posting, but I was always posted to some, you know, I was in Canberra for a while. I was in Victoria and I was in Victoria at first and I got posted across the road from recruit course and then I got posted up to Canberra and then I got moved down to the, I was no good at typing in the, because I tried to get, you know, 25 words a minute or something on yeah. the typewriter and uh, didn't quite make it for the base squad and so they sent me down to the stores so I had a lot of fun down there because when LBJ, you know, uh, Lyndon Johnson, the American yes. president at the time, came yeah. in on Air Force One, I was right at the store and one of our dogs peed on his wheel. <laughs> and I love that. I love that too. <laughs> yeah, so that was a lot of fun, and, and um, that's right. Yeah. And then eventually they sent me down to Point Cook, and a friend of mine who wanted to be with her girlfriend because she was she was in Point Cook at the library, and I, you know, I got friendly with her, and her her partner or future partner was in Perth. Mm. And they wanted to be together, but because my friend was under a psychiatrist, they weren't going to touch her because she was under a psychiatrist for being, you know, for being lesbian or whatever. I hate that word. What yes. word do you prefer? Gay. Gay. Because yeah. we don't call the homosexuals homosexuals. Yeah. And I hate, I, I, I wrote it down here, I disliked the acronyms. I had so many acronyms in every job I had, I got sick of the bloody things. Yeah. And everybody's got to go, you know, LBGD, and I go, for God's sakes, think up something a bit better than that. Well, I can, I mean, I, I can't actually imagine, but I, I understand the acronym thing and you get, but then I find myself, you know, in all using the jobs, it. you know, using them. Like you have to. You know, because, yeah, it's like a, a, a quick language, isn't it? But one of the things that I, um, God, 
Well, with the friend, so she was in point. So your friend was point at Point Cook with but, you, and she wanted and to she be with her. They jumped on my bandwagon, or not mine, but mine and some other girls that were being called into um, police headquarters, or you know, it, not police, but uh, Air Force police. Yeah, I yeah, got yeah. what you call them. Good. That is good. <laughs> and we went. I was interrogated, and I had a warning from my uh, from my then partner that it was pretty pretty rough and you just don't answer the questions because they'd ask you in detail how, how you satisfied each other and all that sort of shit. Okay, so we're gonna take, can we take a step back? So firstly, let's go right back. So when, when did you realize that you were gay and your sister is, yes. is also a gay woman? Yes. yes. Growing up, was that just something? Well, we came out about the same year. Really? To my mother. And for a very feminine lady, she took it so well. You know, I admire my mum a lot. Yeah. Did you and Rosie speak about it before you both came out? No. Or no, you had no idea. <laughs> That's amazing. No idea. And so what year would that have been? Oh, God. Somewhere around my 21st birthday, I think. You know, I'd met this lady when I first joined the RAF that I just fell for. And I, I thought, what's wrong with me, you know? And she had good friends around her. Actually, she was my senior, she was a corporal, so she'd been in the RAF for a long time. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you know. Anyway, um, she left me after the first year. So with all the, you know, going to the service police and everything, I had to, to accept that on my own, which was tough. What was her name? Lauren. Lauren. And so obviously you both fell for each other. And is that when you came out to your mum? I didn't at first because um, Lauren left the RAF soon after I got down there and so we'd meet in Sydney which was handy because you know I'd go up for the weekend and um, I wouldn't tell my mum that I'd be there that weekend but the following weekend <laughs> so I was splitting myself so. between. Yeah which was tough but it turned out that um, she'd got into civilian life and decided to move on which was heartbreaking. Very heartbreaking. Did you feel supported or did you feel very much on an island going through this experience? Yeah, I'd, you know, wander around Balmoral Beach and thought, shall I drown myself? Oh no, I don't like water. <laughs> I'm Piscean, but I'm not into swimming or anything. No, oh, I was quite... happy birthday. Have you just had a birthday or? Hey. If you're a Pisces, have you just had a birthday? 75. Wow. Happy yeah. birthday. Thank you. What day? <laughs> I'm you... surprised I made it this far, but I've kept myself busy. What day are you born then? What? Second. Second of March. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I made it. I don't know why. Probably because I just kept busy. It's harder now because I can't keep myself as busy. Done all right, hey? You've done very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to. So uh, now just to bring it back to... Sorry. No, yes. no, no. At the at RAF... You've been with Lauren. Lauren's left. She's left. You're seeing each other um, when you can on weekends and things. Yeah. Um, so you've also got another friend or f friends that are also at RAF that are also gay. That Yeah, yeah. So one of them is the one that was in po at Point Cook with you and that wanted to move to Perth. Yes. And they're, they're still together today. Are they? Which oh, is wonderful. So yes, beautiful. I've been to their birthdays and things, but they live in Melbourne. Of course, Melbourne's been in lockdown, lockdown. but we're still in touch. That's so beautiful. I know. Oh, I know. So 
did her family engage as a psychiatrist for her or did she seek help because no. she was struggling with her she identity? Did, or? Yeah, no, she wasn't struggling. So w- why was she seeing a psychiatrist then? Had someone, was that the service police that made her? Or No, I think, um, actually I've never really asked her, but I maybe she was trying to sort herself out at the yeah. time. Okay, so but... But yes, it was... It was um, you know, paid for by the by the RAF. Right, and so that because of that, they knew that she was yeah. seeing a psychiatrist, so they wouldn't move her. No. Okay. But she wanted to be with her girlfriend yep. who was over in RAF in, in Perth. Perth. And so then how did the service police become involved? Like, what, what happened for the... Well, firstly, um, one of the girls that I knew, she was a cook at the sergeant's mess, and she, you know... She was all right. She yeah. wasn't my girlfriend, but she was all right because we got better food at the sergeant's <laughs> And um, she got called in first, I think, or a few of them did, and then they came and told us what to expect. So they were just calling them in, anyone suspected of being gay? Yes. Yep. No other reason? Well, apparently I had a next-door neighbour in uh, where I was um, in the uh, barracks that dobbed us in. Never done anything on, on the base, you know, always went off to a motel or something like that, yeah. you know. Anyway, that was unfortunate, but shit happens and then you get on with it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Eventually I ended up in, in Melbourne. The only woman I can remember was a big woman called Corrie Schultz and I thought this would be right, you know, German name. <laughs> she was a big woman. And there was another attractive woman and then there was a bloke and they were all asking me personal questions about about personal things. So they, they were the service police? The service police, yeah, not gotcha. police police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so was eight there hours. anything that they could... Eight hours interrogated? Yeah. Valerie, that would have been a hard... I laughed a couple of times because we just still had those little collar and things and I opened, opened that note. I felt like laughing at the time, but, you know, I was yeah. just so traumatised. My heart was just, you know, what are you asking? And they were asking me who else I knew and what officers I knew. And I'd go, I don't know any officers, you know. And I just kept saying, don't know, don't know, no and comment. Was there, at the time, I mean, I'm very naive to all of this, so at the time was there policy or something that you couldn't be or was it just that it was just it wasn't in the RAF would you believe because when I got discharged it was on request whereas in the Navy and the Army it was a a dismissal which was sad for them so at the time like it was very much hide your sexuality you knew that at the Air Force like when I'm on base I'm I'm Valerie yeah I'm I'm straight Valerie nothing to see here and had then... an Irish boyfriend occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. He was cute. He was a photographer. That's, uh, I mean... See, I was still sorting myself. Yeah, but how courageous to even have a relationship at that time then because I can imagine that you meet someone and you think, you know, like with Lauren, you think she's so capable. Yeah. She seems amazing. But then to act on it, you know, you would have been terrified. Or how do you make the first move to even show oh, interest? Oh, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that would be pretty, pretty easy. I don't know. Um, we went driving off the base one, one evening and uh, just got a bit passionate. It was the best thing in, since sliced bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just can't imagine then 
yeah, having to, you know, hide that from oh, everyone. That was hard for me. After Lauren left and went to Sydney, I, you know, we were on the phone all the time, every day, every day until she started getting mixed up with somebody else, which was pretty tough. Really tough, yeah. So it was because of Lauren, like is that what someone had said about you and Lauren, this, this neighbour that had dobbed you in? And so you're like, well, it's not yeah. even happening anymore. And yeah, it, you know, but can't even admit that it did happen. Yeah. And uh, then eight hours being interrogated. Yeah, they wanted to know who else and what else and how did you do it? How did you stimulate each other and all that sort of thing? Okay. It's I ridiculous. pretended my shyness was really bad. No, Bugger just... off. Anyway, just um, a few years ago, I asked for the service report, mm-hmm. service police report. And when I received it, it was so redacted, you couldn't read the bloody thing. Really? I was furious. And yet I still wear RAF hats and things because Perajua ad Astra is through difficulties to the stars. And that's what they've given me. I live by that, not necessarily the RAF. No. <laughs> I love that you've taken that, though, from that. The thing is, I'm a military person. You know, that's what I was born to be, I think. Yeah. Heartbreaking that you couldn't. And continue. Yeah. So after that eight hours, is that when you received the letter to say that you've left by choice? What did you call it? Sorry, um, on, on request. On request. Well, what? I was elated in a lot of ways. I got in my car and I just drove around Melbourne going, woohoo. And then I thought, what am I going to do? And I did stay in Melbourne for a little while because of, I had, had friends there. And of course, I'd learned about the gay life and the clubs in Melbourne. God, they were awful. <laughs> It was just not me, but I went in because I thought, oh, mix with some of these people. Well, you, I guess you're like claiming your identity at that point, you know? Yeah. You're thinking, well, now I actually have the freedom to be me. That's right. I'll go and do whatever the heck I want. There were so many down there, and I'm going, my God, what a choice. <laughs> <laughs> but I never got terribly involved because it was too divey. You know, a bit of a conservative, not in the, um, not in today's world, but... Yeah. Um, and. You know, obviously, at first you're having this reclamation of your freedom, and yes, but there was also obviously a lot of hurt that had been and damage had been done. Yeah, and you, you had PTSD. Well, I've had it ever since. Yeah, you know, it's worse now only because I've got too much time to think about it, and I and that's why I divert my interests into hard work on the farm. That's okay. And have you ever sought any help? Like yeah, I, I had a psychiatrist, lovely psychiatrist in um, in Bundaberg, uh, but unfortunately her I saw her once, she was absolutely brilliant, and I got a little note next to my bed about breathing, you know, taking so many breaths. Mm. But she got really busy and they wanted to refer me to a bloke, and I said, no thanks. It's not an easy thing to, you know, to discuss with a, a guy. I know there are a lot of guys out there that are very understanding, but I, I need to know them first. I've got a lot of very long-term married friends that come and help me here that I trust implicitly. It's not that I don't like guys. Yeah, yeah but it is building that trust. Yeah. And But it's incredible, isn't it, how, you know, of 75 years, like eight hours could have such an effect on the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not so much when I was travelling, you know, which was quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great. After Lauren, um, and then you, you were seeing another woman. 
were you? Sort, sort of. of. Yeah. Sort of. I wasn't, um, you know, haven't had a good relationship with anybody for a donkey's years. I, when I ended up in Charter's Towers, um, I made friends with a woman who um, had a family, but she felt that, you know, she was gay. We got together because I thought, you know, and she, she desperately wanted a, a partnership. So we ended up as partners, but for, oh, I can't remember whether it was 10 or 12 years, because I thought it was better to have somebody, which is a terrible thing to say, but somebody that cared more about me than... That you cared about them. I could. Yeah. But I, you know... It was probably like a defence mechanism that it, we, it was, you know. and, and she wanted it. I, yeah. I'm not being crass. No, no, no. I don't mean to be crass, but she trusted me implicitly. Yeah. And I never, ever wanted, I didn't need to. Yeah. Because we had the perfect partnership. We had a property together. We had that dog that we loved and she had cats and we had geese and chickens and, you know, and we had a bit of a life, you know, and it was pretty good for a while but then I'd moved away for a while and um, I came back because she ended up in a, a nursing home She, and I think she's still there in uh, a nursing home mm. in a closed ward. Terrible, just mm. terrible. Do you ever... Yeah, I went, I went a couple of years ago and it was a bit hard to tell whether she remembered me or not. I don't know whether it's God or what, keeping her alive all this time because all she wanted to do was die. Mm. Sorry, that's no, a sad, sad... No, oh, that's sad. life, isn't it? They're all story, like, yeah, there's so much sadness. But I think it's um, lovely that you had uh, the, the decade or, or so that you had together yeah, as well. That, that's right. That's right. I mean, um, God... Val, what's wrong with you? Dear me. Thinking of her name? Or yeah, yeah. I, I just had a mental block, but it's terrible. It's <laughs> okay. Terrible. You did say that she was more into it than you were. <laughs> no, I uh. felt terrible about that because, you know. No. Oh, she... names just evade. You don't uh. forget the, the person. You don't forget how you feel. No. Yeah. I think it's interesting how we as humans protect ourselves like that you know obviously with Lauren you had this you know passionate intense, intense yeah and then was so hurt I imagine that oh. it didn't work out and uh sick and then so of course you know when you start to you know this woman that in Charters Towers that you met you know yeah and then she he must have felt safe to have someone that really wanted you but you were okay to still be independent. I think yeah. when we yes. start to feel dependent on someone, it's, it's it, terrifying. Actually, yes, that, that's a good word, dependent. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't. Didn't want to be I, dependent on no, anyone. No, I felt that I could give her, you know, security to a point. I guess, you know, decision-making, you know, in your life, a lot of it, you know, was out of your hands in terms of when you were a child, it was where your dad was posted. Yes, yes. And then 
being the youngest where your siblings migrated right. to and yep. and then you know going to the RAF and and everything all of the horror that happened there then mm. I guess that that had but it's just so interesting because those inf- early influences then don't they they just sort of have a way of of dictating the the next step that you take sure it's interesting what did you feel when um the gay marriage debate before it was legalized here in Australia I thought why do people want to get why do people want to uh, this is an old-fashioned idea unless you're a good church goer or whatever and I, I like to watch my church programs on the telly from England you know oh, just yeah. to see the countryside yeah. um, it's not that I don't believe in God but I believe in trees and all that sort of thing can't see why they'd go into that institution do you believe in the institution of marriage itself well because of my parents probably not you know sadly they were very young when they married mm. and my dad was away a lot there was a lot of blame going on here there and everywhere and um, but my mother was very much female and mm. <laughs> she liked men so there was a couple of times that um, you know where there were men in my mum's life when my dad wasn't around which was a bit sad I just think you know as life goes on as kids we it's just so beautiful to be protected you know, like your world is so yeah. small and, you know, you're so protected. And then as you age, you start to you start to learn what, what everyone's got going on in their lives and you just think, yeah. God, we all start to accumulate losses, don't we? Like, and it doesn't even have to just be people, but there's parts of our lives that yeah. die and yeah. parts of our identity that change and our relationships between people, yeah. or, like whether it be a romantic or a friendship. You That's know, right. Friendships come and go and, oh. and you just think, you know, whenever those things happen, you, you just think, God, like, how are we going to get through this? And then, yes. But we, we do. And obviously you've got such great friendships around here. Like, have I you, have, how have. do you find, actually, uh, this is a question I'm interested in, you've moved so much. Every time you move, you know, it must feel like there's, there's all of this um, possibility in a fresh start, mm. but then you also have in a new place You've got to make connections yeah, with people. That's How what, have you found that? Well, I was going to move to Bagara, you know, to be a, mm. not because I looked at some houses in Bagara away from the. Because that's you know, close to the beach. That's, just, that's the beach, yeah, yeah. Bagara. And I thought, why do you do that? All your friends are around this way within Kui, you know, yeah, like yeah. Warwick and all those sort of places. And I thought, right, no, I'll try and find myself a place uh, down the back of. Jinjin shops yeah. so that I'm within walking distance so that's the aim and thank you so much for sharing about you know your experience and mm. and even about your sexuality I can imagine that they're tough conversations I have. look unless my friends my current friends that I've known for years and years unless they ask me outright I'm not going to bother with telling them no no I find out and I've written my story <laughs> That's right, but I mean, it's one part of a complete human. And well, it's I not mean, like I go around saying, "Oh, you're straight." Yeah, that's right. And uh, there's just so many parts to a person that, and we don't wear our political ideology. Yeah. You know, as soon as you meet someone, those are all things that you discover. Isn't I it? know. I discovered that with my um, 
my plumber the other day. He said, what do you think of Trump? I said, he's shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he went, oh, I think he's wonderful. I said, well, we, we won't even discuss it. <laughs> yeah. Keep plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Oh. It's the only way. I mean, but I think that also that that's what's sad is that we can't disagree. Like we feel like we have to choose one side or the other. And if we are in disagreement about something that mm. we can't, you know, you can't sustain a friendship or, you know. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it is re- really difficult and, and impossible because of experiences that we've had. Well, I've had to walk away from some friends. They didn't understand me. They didn't listen. I just think the world would be a lot easier place for us all if we were just allowed to be... Be who we want to be. I mean, yeah. I... I mean, within the bounds of, you know, sure. not being a murderer oh, yes. or, you know, <laughs> I'm not hurting other people, but, yeah, showing up as... Yeah, I just, I mean, I was lucky enough to, you know, be too crook to be too gay anyway. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing, I didn't, I didn't have a great sexual drive. You know, I just love, you people. know. People. Love people, mostly women. From England to Kenya, slash Kenya, to the RAF base, to now Jinjin. With like many, many Little stops along the way. Gin-gin. Little old Jinjin. Little old Jinjin. <laughs> yeah, because it's in with in Kui of my good friends. Yeah, I just think, yeah, to end up with your friends all around you. Yeah. What a great place to land. I know, I know. It was pretty, pretty smart to come up to Queensland. Very smart. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you for coming. Thanks again, Val. It's not easy to share our most painful moments, and I'm so grateful for your candor. I'll be back next week with another episode of How Do You Decide? Until then, make good choices.